Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Working Therapist. Kirstie and I are talking today about one-word victories. This is a how-to podcast. So, hey, Kirstie, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm very excited about this how-to. We're focusing, number one, on a lot of speech and language stuff. Yay. That means I'm going to talk a lot. I'm excited about that. And two is speech and language stuff. And really, at the end of the day, I'm kind of a speech language nerd, so this is a happy day for me. <laughs> so we so we are talking about single words today, right? Moving from meltdowns to single words. So we're talking specifically about children who have a lot of temper tantrums. So I have four kids, and a long time ago, my second oldest now is 18, so this was when and he was about three. And three-year-olds are, in my opinion, like everybody says terrible twos. And like n- uh-uh. terrible twos ain't nothing till you get to three. Because three-year-olds have a memory. They can remember stuff and they can hold on to that memory and they can be mad or longer, right? But they don't have any reasoning yet. <laughs> no. Like there's no rationalizing with a three-year-old. No, no, no. It's just I want it my <laughs> way and I want it my way because I said it and now That's I remember it. it and I'm still <laughs> mad and I'm mad and it's three minutes later and I'm still ticked, you know? Two-year-olds, mm-hmm. you can distract them like, ooh, shiny, and they'll forget about it. But three-year-olds, they are sticking to their cause, whatever that might be. And it's not rational, whatever it is. Three is tough. So I decided when he was three, and that means my oldest one was five, we were going to Chick-fil-A on a Saturday at lunch, like right at noon, which is a great idea for anybody. If you have a Chick-fil-A, you always want to go Saturday at noon because that is the most busiest time of the week. And so I'm being very sarcastic right now because Saturday at noon is probably the worst time to go to Chick-fil-A. But anyway, we were there Saturday at noon and it was the two boys and myself and three-year-old and five-year-old. And so the three-year-old Langdon understood, hey, I get a toy. And so he just sort of kind of figured this out, you know, with the whole meal thing and getting a toy. And this was like a new thing for him. And he was very excited about this toy. And we had to wait in this long line. And of course, there's every register and every register's got this big, long line. Chick-fil-A nowadays does a much better job at crowd control. But back in the day, they had like all these individual cash registers there. Everybody lined all up behind them. And then they also didn't bring the food to your table. You just had to stand around and wait to get your food. We waited in our line for food. No place to sit in the restaurant. We got our food. Lightning was psyched about whatever toy it was we were going to get and he wanted that toy and so we got our food I'm standing there with a full tray nowhere to sit in the restaurant so we're just standing there waiting for somebody to get up and people are coming in and it's packed out and he's like well I want my toy and I said son we'll get your toy in just a second I want my toy we're going to get your toy in just a second sweet pea hold up there's no table as soon as we get a table we'll get your toy I want my toy son no we're not going to get your toy right now. We're going to have to wait till we get a seat and then you can get your toy. So then with that, he's like, I want my toy. And he has a doozy of a tantrum. I mean, he is screaming and laying on the floor, kicking, screaming the whole nine yards. It's one of those. So basically at that point, I was like, what am I going to do with this kid? So he's just laying on the floor and having a fit. And I'm sure making other people around him miserable. And I just have to stand. That's when you walk away. He's not yours. (laughs) I would like to, but there was nowhere to go. It was so crowded. I had to stand where I was. So I just had to stand there and tell people, just step over him. He's having a fit. Yeah. This one's having a fit. Sorry. He's having a fit. I know the noise is terrible. I'm so sorry. He's having a fit. 
just step over him. Just keep keep on moving. Just step over him. He's having a fit. There was nothing else we could do. Finally got over it. We got a table and everybody ate. And I think I gave him the toy, which in hindsight was the wrong thing to do. But I think I did. So that being said, you know, everybody has dealt probably with kids having a temper tantrum, right? So today I want to talk about a child comes in, you evaluate them, and they're tantruming. And that is their communication system. What do you do? How do you get them to move to single words? That's our topic. And I think what you just said is so important because that temper tantrum is their current means of communicating basic wants and needs. You got it. That is their communication system. That's what they use. And so the first thing I want to say, which I think is the most important, is don't get too wrapped around the axle about this tantruming stuff, you know? It gets such a negative connotation right off the bat. Exactly. So you don't want to get so wrapped up in the tantrums and this behavior and try to solve that. You want to see the tantrums for what they are. It is their communication system. It's not socially appropriate, but it is the communication system. Well, and it's worked. So at some point, mom figures out what the child needs, whether it's after three trials of, hey, you want the milk? No, you don't want the milk. You're still throwing a fit. No, you don't want that. You're still throwing a fit. No. Finally, you get whatever it is. And he's like, oh, I got what I needed. Okay, I'm good. Exactly. And if you think about it, it's pretty darn smart because if you start screaming and kicking and screaming, so people are going to come running, right? So you get immediate attention, immediate gratification, and people start trying to solve the problem. So you stop screaming. It's pretty smart. So you're dealing with a kiddo here who, number one, is pretty smart. Probably in life, they're going to be a little demanding, like they want something, they know exactly what they want, and they want it right this minute, you know, because people are going to come running to make it stop. And they have a very strong opinion about what it is. So those are all very positive, lifelong traits that will take them far in this world. It's just we need to replace that tantruming with a socially appropriate way to communicate. And so when you start to see it that way, you don't worry about the tantrum so much as how do I replace this tantrum with something else? That's your job. And that's not easy, right? No, not, not the easiest. <laughs> no. So a couple of things to do. One is when a kid's tantruming, I think it's very hard to like not immediately react and do something. So I think the first thing you have to do is tell yourself you're going to have to pause and watch. So when they do tantrum, take a deep breath. This is very hard for me to do because I want to fix it right off. But pause. Watch what they're doing. Watch what the parent's doing. Have the parent back in the session. You want to watch both because you want to see the dynamics. Because remember, smart little dude knows what he wants and knows how to get it quickly. And he's going to have a tantrum and it's going to escalate until he gets it. So you want to see that family dynamics and what's happening. Not to comment, not to say anything, just to watch it. And then you want to see kind of what he does. You also want to see, is he crying or she or is she not crying? Like, what do they do and how much do they escalate? Like, how far is the situation? going to go. You don't want them screaming and tantruming their entire session, but you do want to kind of know how does this work. And I bet you money, I bet you money, most of the time when kids are tantruming stuff, they can flick it off and on like a light switch. There's no tears and they can escalate it pretty quick and they've already figured out how to do it. So the first is like screaming, then it's laying on the floor, then it's kicking something or somebody, and then maybe they'll pull on out the tears if they have to go there. But really, usually they can cut it off and on like a light switch. There's no tears. So the first thing you have to do is give yourself permission to watch it and look at it. And when I say watch it, not for 15 minutes, I'm talking like about a minute, 30 seconds. When you said that about like watching the family dynamic, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I saw it several times just this past week in therapy where the parent picked up the child out of the waiting room and said, you're just mean. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, oh, poor kid. He's one. He's, he's not mean. No, he's <laughs> he not mean. But if you're telling them you're going to mean their whole life, then... 
then you're going to be mean, right? Because yeah. you've been told you're mean. Yep. Right, right. Or no, stop it. Don't do that. You know, with that firm. I'm not saying kids don't need firm ground rules and yeah, things they, like that. I'm not yeah. saying that at all. But if all they hear is no and don't and stop and a negative, that's not really teaching them what to do. No, you don't want to do all the no's and the stop it. And that's why I pointed out at the beginning of this podcast, these are smart kids. They know what Mm -hmm. they want. They know how to get it and they're going to do it quickly. And I mean, there's a lot of good positive to this situation. So well, we go back to saying like, these children have an opinion. They have an opinion. <laughs> yeah. So I want to compliment and show all the positives because, you know, if your child is tantrum all the time, you kind of get to this negative spot sometime and you may have a negative thought about this little person. I want to sort of help the parents see really what's happening. So if you think about it, you got a smart little fella here who really knows what they want. It's just the only way they know how to get it is to scream for it. So now we just have to replace that behavior. So you want to sort of recalibrate the parents. It's a reframe. That's all it is, right? Yeah. So the first thing you want to do is watch and identify what it is. And then the second thing you want to do is kind of reframe it for the parents. And then the third thing is you want to make sure you understand what's happening with them expressively and receptively. So these kids are hard to test because they really don't want to pay attention to sit down like a PLS-5. They don't want to sit there and do the receptive stuff. Doesn't mean they're not smart and they don't understand what's happening receptively and they're not putting concepts together. They do. It's just they probably haven't been that still that much in their life, you know, because they're like, I want this. I want to get it. They're kind of pretty active kiddos, you know, potentially this group is. And so they, you may not be able to give them the PLS-5. So you just want to get through as much as you can on that test. It may not be that accurate for, to really a real reflection of their skills, but you want to get through, it doesn't have to be the PLS-5, whatever test you give, but you want to try to get through something, get a score, and then you want to do sort of a clinical assessment too, to really see what their level of understanding is, because probably they have more of an expressive problem than a receptive problem. So as you write your goals, you want to think about expressively how to replace that behavior and receptively because they've probably got a lot of things already intact, you know? So you want to look at their play skills. Are they putting objects together in the context of play? If they're combining two and three objects in play, they're already understanding two and three word sentences. They're just not getting them out, but they're ready for it. They're just not using them. That's what that tells you. And then, you know, you you can do a quick like, where's mommy? Where's daddy? Where's the dog? Where's the pig? Where's your shoes? You know, then, okay, well, they understand they're identifying objects. They can understand simple questions. So you can check off a whole bunch of stuff. Who cares if they can't categorize? Who cares if they don't know colors? Who cares if they don't understand prepositions? at that point that's like the finer tuned stuff that once you can replace the socially inappropriate behavior of this tantrum then you can get there but right now the biggest impact you can make once you've done sort of a cursory receptive assessment with the test standard score and your clinical assessment once you've done sort of a cursory assessment of the big stuff understanding objects understanding words following simple directions answering some basic questions about function those kind of things then hit the expressive stuff super hard that's where you make the biggest difference and that's where the parents are probably that's why they're here because like well he just cries for everything then that's where you make your impact and your whole therapy at first starts around that so that's where you start so what are some things you can specifically do in therapy then so it is fun and engaging because you know we always talk about be a hallway speech therapist don't sit at a table because a two three-year-old's not going to sit at a table very well no, this particular little person is not going to probably do that because this is your... This is your mover. This is your, this is your mover and shaker. Yep, you're right. So a couple of things. First thing, so this little person is kind of your mover and get up and go kid, but they do also have to learn how to sort of 
play with toys. So a lot of times with this kiddo, I'll, I'll ask the parents, how do they play at home? And sometimes the answer is they just dump everything out. They just dump everything out and they keep dumping everything out. And a lot of times your therapy room at the end of an assessment with this kid looks like a bomb went off. I mean, like they just hit toy after toy after toy after toy dumped all over the room and they're tantrum and they're going this to that. And you're like, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right so you're just like I'll just close that door I'm gonna clean that up later I gotta walk away <laughs> so so the first thing you're gonna have to do though is figure out how to channel that into something positive right so to answer your question you want to use a start do finish concept and we talk a lot about that a lot at PDT I don't know do you use like a start do concept stuff and your PT stuff Kirsty? always I mean if they get done with something because you know we've talked in other podcasts about using parts and pieces of stuff because PTs need rest repetition. We need motor learning. We need reps. So if they're done with whatever we're doing, which I mean, it happens because they thought it was going to be fun. And now what we're doing with it is not quite as fun. It's either like, okay, we have two more. And if they don't understand that and they're ready to clean it up, I'm like, okay, time to clean it up. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye puzzle. Oh, you want the bubbles? Okay. Help me. Mm-hmm. You know, otherwise it's going to look like a tornado went off in that room. <laughs> yes. Yes. So exactly. So you want to use kind of start, do finish. So all the toys and I would have like, um, to start the session, and I'm very like child directed, very child directed, but you do kind of have to help this little type of person. You got to sort of shape it a little bit. You got to help direct a little tiny bit. So you don't want to force the kid to do something they don't want to do. I'm not saying that, but you do have to kind of shape a little bit. So one of the first things I do is, so I want to have everything start, do, finish. So I want all my toys in their own individual container with like a plastic lid you know, and I'm probably going to have 20 boxes out, but they're going to be stacked over in the corner. I'm probably going to have 20 different things because what if they don't like 15 of the 20, you know, then I can do exactly what you just talked about doing. Like tell it bye-bye, tell it bye-bye, tell it bye-bye. So I want to have something you can open the lid, open, get it out, do it, and then put it back in. And very kind of simple play routines. Because one of the things you want to do is really, even though they might be comprehending at a higher level, because I bet you they are, you don't want to have a toy that's too complicated because your goal in therapy, your goal in therapy, everything revolves around do this to get this with a socially appropriate way. So you're going to work on gestures. You're going to work on, you could use work on picture cue cards, but I, I don't, I'm like using like a peck or single words. But the first place you want to start with is like a gesture. So you want to kind of shrink your room. So a lot of times with these kids, I position them kind of in the back corner, not like I'm putting them in a corner. And then I put myself in front of the rest of the open space. So if say you're seeing them in a big, huge daycare like gym, you can do that. Put them in the corner and you're in front of them. So the whole open space is behind you. And now the room is basically like a two by three. Yeah, it's teeny tiny room, just you and the child and your proximity is pretty close. You know, you're not sitting at a table, you're sitting on the floor. A table is too much open space. This is not a table kind of kid because you got to get them to do this, to get this in a socially appropriate way. And it's got to be fun. It's got to be novel and it's got to be fast. So you got your kid where they're in the back, they're in the corner, you're sitting in front of them, you got your box of wind up toys, hit the open, the box open, and you want to do a lot of hand over hand, get them to open, because they're used to just ripping the box open, dumping everything out, throwing it around a little bit and taking off and running for something else or screaming or tantrum for whatever else they want. That's what their normal is. So you want to open, get one wind up toy out and quick wind it up and have it go fast, fast. And you want to try to get, just so for your thoughts, one communicative attempt every 30 seconds. 
So that's what you're trying to do. Get a situation where they can request something every 30 seconds in a therapy session. Now, I don't have a stopwatch, but that's kind of an internal like little guideline I have going on. So I don't ever for these kids pull out like the Fisher Price Farm and pretend play because that's not nearly enough structure for this little person, you know? So I've got to have something where you got to open it, do the wind up toy, and I want to set up a routine. One, two, three. And then it goes. Now they're understanding at a much higher level, but I'm going to use a very basic word kind of pattern here. So it's like one, two, three, go. And then the wind up toy does its thing. And then it stops. And then one, two, three, go. And then wind up. So, and then one, two, three, pause. And then you want to see if they'll kind of say go, or you want to see if they'll do the sign for more, or you want to help them pat their chest for me. They probably won't do more. They're not going to say more. They're not going to say me. If they were going to say it, they'd already said it and they wouldn't be there to see you. So you're going to have to get them to do the say me, me, or maybe just them handing you the wind up toy is enough of a request, right? So you can give them the toy and then you can get them to you hand over hand it, give it to you, and then you wind it up and make it go. That's a request. So every 30 seconds and the wind up toy lasts for what? About like three seconds, five seconds, you know? So every 30 seconds, you're going to have to do an initiation request and you get one of them out at a time and they don't have free choice open in the box. You open the top box open. And so every time you get a new wind up toy, because you got about 10 to 15 in that one box, every time you get a new one, they open and they have to request and you do their hand over hand to help them knock on the top of the box open so it's very functional it's very concrete the sign for open open those aren't real like signs those are just gestures you're kind of using but they're very concrete they're very specific and it's very you do this you get that and there's no tantrum that's where i start and you have to pay attention because that response, that giving them whatever it is that they requested has to be immediate because they, that's where they're learning that words have the power. You got it. Yep. There can be no pauses. There no. are no pauses. This is fast moving fast and it's very structured. And if you can have the parent there, you want to have the parent there for them to watch. But this is not a have a conversation with the parent. This is you're all in with that child because you have to be ready to reward that positive behavior. This is not a talking session with you and the parent. This mm -hmm. is you treating the child 100% focused attention. And it's going to take every minute of your attention, like every minute. You really don't have. But I think it's really else. important to tell the parent that. So here's what I'm going to do today so that they understand, mm -hmm. like you observe, mm -hmm. don't ask questions right now. We'll leave time for questions at the end, <laughs> of course, in a nice way, but they need to understand what you're doing and what you're trying to get out of it. I think that's huge. And you have to tell them, my whole goal is to get to replace the tantruming. So I want to show them the socially appropriate way to request versus a tantrum. And to make the child understand, oh, there is another option. Because they're like, that's what I do. That's how They've I request. They've just been tantruming for a year to get what they want. Flashcards is no for this group. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, pretend play stuff doesn't make any sense for this group. It's not structured enough. It's not immediate enough. No, not enough structure. Do this every 30 seconds, a communicative attempt. Maybe more, but at least every 30 seconds, at least. Really, I love it if it's every like 10 seconds. But that just sort of tells you how compact your time is and how fast this has to be happening. So we did like the wind-up toy where you're sitting really close, right? Because Kirsty was talking about, you know, be a hallway speech therapist, be moving around. So once they can sort of get, so they understand kind of a little bit of the concept of this is how the session's going to work. Like, you know, there's a structure to it. Then to do a movement activity, and you can still be really close to them. You know, you can still be in a big old room and still kind of shrink the room with your body. But to do like a movement thing, you want to kind of do the same thing. So a lot of times I'll use like bowling pins. I love a bowling pin, the caduzzi ones. So I just do like, three, you know, and then up one, two, three, 
You can also do the same thing with a Melissa and Doug puzzle that had the little men or the little bears that stack on top of each other. That's harder though. That's harder for them to stand up. So I don't usually do those. Blocks work. Any block works. Bowling pins work. So let me pause here. You don't want to complicate a bunch of talking with this group. They understand at a much higher level, but you're working at their expressive level. That's a much lower level. So they get when you're talking and using a whole bunch of words, they understand it all. But right now they're like, they're kind of almost like a fight or flight mode. You know, they're like, I want it and I'm going to scream for it. And if I don't get it, you know, that's kind of where they are. So you don't want to complicate it with a bunch of words because all they're going to hear is wah, 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 wah. So simple, up, up, up and you want to also use your intonation and your pitch you want to use all that some sing-songy stuff to keep it interested and keep them a little bit off guard so up 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 for the bowling pins and then you want to take the ball and boom knock it down and a lot of this might be hand over hand because they may not even want to pay attention long enough to see it knocked down but you also want to be really close keep the room really small because you want their attention focused on what your attention is focused on. And I know that's very directive and I am very child-centered and child-focused, but you just got to help sort of shape their play because they just want to dump and run and dump everything out and not play functionally. So that's a movement activity. Then you can start to widen your room as they better understand. And, you know, you can start to let loose a little bit, getting more movement kind of thing going on. And then once you're getting consistently that me or more, the three where you start, where do you go next? Do you go to, hey, parent, what's important to you? Like, what words do you choose next? I have the parents do the me and I have them do the more at home and kind of do the same sort of pattern. And then I move to any word that I can try to get this kiddo to say. So then going back to your point that you made earlier about really being, I don't think you use the word sensitivity, but, but that's what you were talking about, but being sensitive to the child's like communicative attempt. So as you're doing the me or the more or the open or whatever it is, if they start to make a little sound, you want to like, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Good job. Me or whatever you want to, any sound counts, any sound counts, anything but a tantrum right now counts as a communicative attempt. So what, what I do is I'll take my hand, but also remember functional and very concrete, very concrete. So I'll take my hand and as soon as they can get like the open and I got their attention for more than like a millisecond, then I'll immediately start doing like me and I take their hand and I put it to my mouth like me and then I'll take their hand and put it to their mouth me meaning like hey talk like this is when a sound comes out kind of thing and so then I'll just sort of try to focus on the open the me the more for up for the bowling pin up and then I like pop the pee so you can feel the breath on your hand you know so then there's something tangible concrete or like the cow with moo that I might you know I really over exaggerate the moo or the pig or the oink or the quack or the whatever it is. So then I just start introducing other vocabulary, but not a ton of vocabulary in like one activity. So it might be like for the blocks or the bowling pin up, up, up. If you're doing like a car, like your push and go car, you know, if you're going to push a car back and forth to each other, then go. Oh, and then you, you're still within reach enough that you can do the hand to hand, mouth to mouth thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Basically start introducing any vocabulary you want. You just don't want to have too many words in one type of a situation. You want them to understand clearly what the goal is. This is what I'm trying to get, you know? And if they use any sound or any word, you just take it and, and go with it. So I hear what you're saying about being concrete. Like me is very concrete. It's important to them and, you know, 
kids are all about them <laughs> at mm-hmm. that age. Um, but when do you go to things that are, you know, when I think concrete and basic wants and needs, I'm like, I think they're milk. Do they have a juice cup? You know, what about eat and those types of things? When do you start introducing words like that? Well, that's an excellent question because when I'm talking about concrete, I mean in like making the word itself concrete. So words, you can't feel them, touch them, smell them. You know, there's there's nothing there. So I'm trying to make the word concrete. Like, so when they're touch their chest, me, it's like, a, oh, you're doing so something is happening to get something, you know, because mm-hmm. these kids have been screaming for something to happen, which is very concrete thing, you know, their body's very involved. So the me is just like patting your chest is replacing that physical thing with something else, a physical thing. So that's an excellent question. I'm putting a sense with the word. So then what you're doing is then you're there understanding, oh, there's a different something I can do instead of just this tantrum thing. So that's your bridge. Then if the gesture doesn't work, you could use a peck because because a peck is now you can physically touch, hold, smell, feel that word. But usually these kids don't need like a peck or a picture card, you know, and then once they get that, you can do something else besides tantrum to get something else. Then you take off and do all kinds of vocab. Any vocabulary is fine. I think that's a great next step. You know what I don't use is please. A lot of times I'll hear therapists saying, please. What does that mean? Like, please, it's, it's say nothing. I mean, that's great manners. I mean, right. that, I think that's later. Right. It's just manners, really. So the please is more for you at that point, not them. So let's make it functional to them. In all reality, as a parent, I think it's great if your child says please, but wouldn't you rather than not throw a tantrum in Chick-fil-A? <laughs> please. Yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> so once they can do like the me, the more, and they understand, and then they'll start imitating some words where that's so you can get a little more complicated with the words, but you just don't want to introduce too many words too quickly. But you do want to push it each session, you know, they're doing the me with their hand to their chest, you know, pretty consistently, then you want to take away your hand over hand and have them do it independently, me and you want to pat your own chest. And then a lot of times they'll start patting their own chest. And if they don't, then go back to doing it. But then a couple models, then let it start to fade the model. So always push, 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 push until they aren't doing it anymore. Then go back to the beginning, then push, 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 and then back. And then go to the level where you know you can be successful and then push, push, push up. And then you want to really start using the pausing and the expectancy. So I mean, like you want to sort of lean in, like look on your face, like you're waiting, you're expecting them to say something. So then you want to start using some body gestures from you to make them understand it's your turn. You say this, this is what you do. You know, you want to start using a lot of that kind of stuff in your therapy too, to help. And you want to introduce all that to the parents. You know, and then just keep building because then they understand you do this, you get that. You do this, you get that. And and then just start to ignore the tantruming. Make sure they're not hurting themselves, of course, but it can start to ignore it and start to really rewarding the positive. And they'll stop that tantrum because they want that positive. So there you go. So there's that how to. Well, thank you, Kirsty, for listening to me talk about that today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We've had fun and we'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 